The question in my mind is, how do you create or relaunch a highly profitable and successful six to seven figure business? With so much conflicting advice about the best ways to start and grow your business, how do you get it right the first time? I want to help entrepreneurs make a real difference and navigate the messy world of startup or relaunch. My name is John North, and this is the Startup Secrets for Entrepreneur Show. Join me today when we dig deep with our guests and get you the best blueprint so you can fast track your own business. This episode is sponsored by Volpreneur.app, your all-in-one online business system. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at StartupSecrets.show right now. So let's get into the day's episode. Hi, uh, I'm Ben Leroff. Uh, been on this week on Evolvepreneur uh, with John. We spoke about uh, turning your business into an asset. So we talked about creating systems. We talked a little bit about Elon Musk. We talked about some of the mistakes that you can make in business that means your business can be really hard to hard to sell. So yeah, hopefully you you get something good from the good from our chat. You're listening to Evolve into a secret show for entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, John North. And today I've got a very special guest, Ben Lee Ralph. I'm pretty close to explaining, you know, I'm pretty bad with um, people's names. <laughs> like, that's not too bad. <laughs> it's um, a bit of a tricky one. You're right. Yes, yeah, so I've had worse. Um, so, my mission is to help um, startup entrepreneurs, you know, navigate the messy world of, of getting started in business and growing business, and, and often the pivot as well. So, when people want to pivot to another something. So, we talk a lot of depth to a lot of different guests about a lot of different things. And so today we're kind of digging digging deep um, on a new business that Ben's created, and um, welcome Ben to the show. Great, thanks thanks for having me. And I'm just going to dig into your bio a little bit. So um, you spent 15 years as a business owner and entrepreneur, working with some of Australia's most iconic purpose-driven organisations. That's interesting. And you're founder of Impact Positive, which is helping business owners turn their business into assets and staging them for sale. So that's um, a very topical thing, and I think I mentioned to you before. Actually, talking talking to someone yesterday about that whole thing, so um, I've already already primed for that. <laughs> so, so welcome. So, tell me, um, how do you what what were you doing for fifteen years? And you said you were doing it for purpose driven organisations. So, what were you doing in that period of time? How did you get to? Yeah. That? So, look, I'm a, a bit of a tragic for starting a business. My dad, uh, he ran a small business basically his whole career, and so I've gone and followed in those footsteps and look some of them have been successful some of them haven't been that successful but generally the theme um, or the thematic around is that they're products that help purpose-driven organizations which is generally speaking it's social enterprises it's non-for-profits it's government departments it's kind of any kind of business that their primary goal is about I guess making the world better or having some kind of positive impact and then the financial motive is the thing that follows behind that, right? It's very important to have something that is stable and solid and has money. Like all of those things are important, but it's not necessarily what is driving driving people. And it's quite interesting actually, because um, one of the, I did a, um, some work with some uh, people for Fortune Institute a long time ago. And one mm. of the things that they did is they did this like, I think six source, I can't remember the list, how many there are, but six different things for key for, bis- for businesses. And one of the top ones was a bigger mission than money. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that's a big thing for any business is that if you're just money focused, then that's the sort of customers you, you, you attract 
as well as the fact that there's no real, you know, to get out of the and make more money doesn't necessarily really motivate people. Ultimately, money is a fairly short-term motivator. So, oh, yeah, it's that's a hundred percent right. And it's, and I think what you are right about there, or what you hit on, is it's that it's a bad motivator. It's like not great leverage. So mm. it's not the message of you shouldn't go out and make money because money is bad. It's like just going out with the idea of just making money is a pretty difficult thing to do. You need to have some higher purpose that people can rally around you can build brand equity around you can hire staff around like that's the thing that's important and then yeah money is is the oxygen of the business it's quite interesting i look at like you know musk with whole twitter thing right fires everybody by email and restarts the computers like it's it seems like a really draconian way to treat people like to me it's like really bad but then he mm-hmm. turns around and says this is the sort of person who's got to work for me and it's like whoa, most people wouldn't do that, right? And, you know, like, mm-hmm. apparently he's been accused now of being, um, having uh, bedrooms set up in Twitter and, and the local uh, San Francisco is putting these, you know, writs against him and stuff about letting people sleep at work. And yeah. it's, like, it's a whole different mindset, right? But he's going to attract the sort of people that are like that. And so what he's basically done in some respects is he's just jettisoned everybody who's not going to fit his model and he's attracting mm-hmm. the people he wants to. Um, it's a pretty rough way to do it, but then I guess he's, he's got a time limit there, a lot of big bill to pay. But it's sort of interesting when you look at that, but his, you can see the mission's not money, right? Mm-hmm. He needs money to run the thing, but you can tell it's not about the money. It's about something else. And so I think yeah. that's really what the... He'll get people to buy into that, regardless of people go, well, but I like that, I want to do that, I want to, you know... I mean, you probably end up with cancer in six months' time or something. But at the end of the day, like you'll 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 work that way because you want to. You attract the right sort of employees, um, and I think that's an interesting kind of thing. I mean, it's a great study in to me in terms of mission, um, and yeah, certainly you can see where um, he's been the most successful is when he's rallying people around something. Yeah. So like Tesla or SpaceX, which is arguably where he's he's done his best work, yeah. is. He attracts people who are willing to work hard and you can get a market cap that's way more. Like, I think it's like the three car companies, mm. like the next three combined still don't yeah. get a market cap. And you know what? He says that I think a hundred years it's been since a car company actually survived. So the, the, this is the only car company that actually got launched and actually survived the launch and actually produced cars in a hundred years. Yeah. So like, it's a significant it's, achievement when you think about it. Um and, and in the SpaceX is changing the way it's done thing, but he's also very good at getting that, that thing done fast, right? It's almost like, oh, there's no, you know, there's, there's a deadline, there's a schedule, like you've got to get it done twice as fast and stuff like that. And that's the people that change the world. And I guess that's what they, the people get attracted to because they get part of that story. You get part of history. So that his mission is kind of like, you're going to be part of history. You probably end up in the history books if you're, if you're good at what you do. So it's kind of bizarre when you think about it. But um, yeah. And I think that's the thing about, it, and it probably fits in nicely what we're talking about is, is if you have a business asset, um, and I think interesting enough, I was at a conference a few years ago, and I kept talking about, and this was a an internet digital marketing digital marketer conference, which you may have, may have gone to maybe, um, mm-hmm. and and they kept on talking about properties in relation to websites, and mm-hmm. and I thought. I got it out of the gate. Yeah, I see what you're saying here. But you can see the audience being Australian going, looking and going, uh, what are you talking about? There's, I can't see any house there, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, it's like, yeah. and it's like, but you're not valuing. And they say, oh, we've got these $100 million properties. And it's like, well, what do you mean? Is it like a resort or something? No, it's, it's a website. Mm-hmm. And so I think the valuation of assets in business 
is wrong. You don't value the right things in business. And actually had a good conversation with the guy yesterday about brand awareness and brand equity and what people value in terms of that name. Mm-hmm. And the concept of saying, well, hang on, there's more assets in your business you think you've got and you're not necessarily leveraging them. And then when you go to sell it, um, mm-hmm. you, know, you end up in a situation where you, you can't sell it because, or you sell it for less than you thought because you didn't think about your brand. Um, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly a lot of intangible assets in your business that if you can harness them, right, if you can package them up as something that um, you could pass under somebody else, mm. you'll, you know, double, triple, quadruple what you could ask for the business. And I think what what one of the really good things about kind of preparing your business to sell, even if you don't want to sell it, right, you've started this business, you want to work on it, you never want to sell it, like that's the dream. Mm. Packaging it up as something that you can sell means that you've actually got a level of freedom from your business. It's something that could run without you, which means you can take more holidays, you can, you know, uh, take parental leave if you need it. Like, there's just a lot more options. Life does business. happen, right? And I think that's the biggest yeah. thing. Like, um, like I, I was running a like I think about 2016 or something. I found out I had bowel cancer, so on the Monday, right? And yeah. so, I basically a Wednesday operation, Thursday was out, and, and it was never happened. It was like it never happened. And so, the thing was though, if my business couldn't run without me during that period of time, and mm-hmm. And you don't, and it, and it really brings to home because what happened at that point is what I was working longer hours, I was working a lot more. And I, I come to the conclusion that it's not eight days in a week. So you can't, you can't work seven days a week and expect a result. If you can't work five days a week and get a result, you're certainly not going to work seven days a week and get a result. You're just going to be tired mm-hmm. and sick. And so getting that, compressing that down and thinking, okay, well, in my opinion, no one buy, pays you money after five o'clock. In a, in a normal business and business business, mm-hmm. so why should yeah. you be talking to people after five o'clock because they're not going to give you money, right? So then just setting yeah. up time scales and say, okay, I can get more done, and you get so much more done before holidays anyway. I'll get more done in mm-hmm. less time. How can I do it the most, necessarily the laziest way? How can I get this? Mm-hmm. And that that's the mindset, isn't it? Like if you're looking and thinking, well, I'm if I keep working really hard, you know, your parents tell you to do, which is probably the worst thing they could have ever told you, I reckon. Yeah is that you end up in a situation where you just worked yourself into an early grave and then the business that you wanted to build for life isn't available to you because you, you're, you're it. You're the business, right? Yeah. And I think that's the scary bit. And I think that's that mindset of, as you say, like thinking about even if you're making it for sale and you're not, it makes a very big mind shift because it gets you, you can't get off the hook, can you? Like, mm-hmm. when you talk, like what's the biggest kind of, um, disaster story you've ever seen in terms of businesses and you know I know you've only kind of started in the last six months but you know what what do you see the biggest sort of pitfalls they get into and they convince themselves that it's a good thing right yeah look I'll, I'll tell you one um, from my own experience which is um, a previous company it was a consultancy that I co-founded um, from all in like from all metrics looking around the business when we we're in the business it seemed like it was just a great business to be in like we had really great we were making great revenue we were making pretty reasonable profit we had a staff we had like really good clients like tick 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 all the way down and then as you say like life happens and then the three founders are like okay well how could we like exit this business how could we sell it what does the end game look like and we went to our accountant to start helping us value this business 
And just bluntly, they were like, it's not worth anything. <laughs> you know, like you've got, and it's like just shock horror. You know, like how could we're so successful by all of these kind of vanity metrics? How can it not be worth anything? Mm. And then as we start to go down, it's like it's just solely dependent on us as people right? We didn't have the right systems in place. We didn't have training or onboarding. Our clients were all relationship-based. They weren't, we didn't necessarily have a strong, repeatable funnel or lead mechanism. Actually risks. <laughs> all, exactly, all risks. And then, so we like had that moment where you're like, okay, well, let's turn the ship around. Let's start building value into this business and start scaling it up. And what we realized is that because we didn't necessarily have the the foundations in place when we started, it was very difficult to start taking what was quite a creative business that was built on our personalities and then turn that into something that was more of a product, something that we could package up. Mm. And then scaling it became a problem as well because the more people we got, the more clients we got, the more of our time we needed. Mm. And so I just put this like hard cap on like how big we could get. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, that experience really, um, it was a hard lesson to learn around when you're starting a business where you've got to focus what's important and it's not necessarily a revenue number so much as it is a, an asset valuation or it's the systems and processes that you have. And I think the danger is, as you say, like you get in that situation where you, most people try and sell a business, and I did this years ago, where you try to sell a business at the worst possible time because most people yes. don't. Say, so, you know, you know, when you build a house and you're going to sell it, <laughs> yeah. you know there's a time frame and it's like you can see it. But when you've been in business, it's not like that, is it? Like it's like a big sort of jigsaw puzzle that keeps falling apart sometimes. And oh, hundred percent. Yeah, and I had a business that basically was turning out one and a half million dollars reoccurring. All you had to do was show up. Mm-hmm. But because I hadn't thought about selling it, and then I had to try and figure out how to present that. And because it was very early in the piece that people didn't understand reoccurring income and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. I couldn't convince anybody in quick enough to be able to tell them to sell this one half million dollar business, which I basically just closed. And I think we had this conversation about before. Business failure mm-hmm. isn't necessarily, oh, I failed and the bank took my house. No, no. But, you know, it, the failure is that you just couldn't sell it because it wasn't, you didn't set it up for sale in the first place. Maybe you tried to sell it desperately I mean, I had something mm-hmm. the other day, I tried to present a business to me and I go, looking at your business, you've got no business plan, no brand really. At the same time, you've got no real, not on reoccurring customers and I could easily replicate your business in a week. Like I could just take what you've just done and I could build a new business for nothing. And yeah. I think that's the question. Could you replicate that business in, in a month or so? If you can, you're in big trouble, <laughs> right? Yeah, completely. And that's when we were talking about intangible assets before. But if you've got like a strong website with good traffic, Mm. and say a good Instagram presence, that's something that can't necessarily be replicated overnight. That's something that you have to invest money in to get. Mm. And so being able to tangibly say, well, like that's a brand asset. Mm. Fantastic. Great. Like that's something that can go on the asset side of the ledger. Um, Yeah. yeah. Do you want simple and effective ways to get started that don't cost a fortune in time and money? Discover the best steps for each strategy we teach and the most important areas to focus on and even to connect with your best customers and grow an online community. Grab your free copy of Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs at startupsecrets.show. Yeah, I think that's the, yeah, I think they value the wrong things. And I think to to a degree, it is like you call vanity. Like you you look at, oh, this is the numbers I'm making, but 
you're making them purely from personality or per, for personal hard work and if you're not in that business. I think it's a good saying is if you left a business on holidays for six months and came back and it was better than you left it, then you've yep. got a business. Yep. Um, well, that means you're building a business as opposed mm. to like working in a business or running the business, right? Like your job is to make a thing mm. that improves, right? That, yep. can, that can like self-sustain. It's like that's the job of the, of the owner. And I think one of the things that I... Um, that I've done over the years, which is like, I did it the other day, actually. I wait for an employee, I set a situation up and then let it fail, let them fail. So actually don't help them. Like know that it's gonna, you know, and obviously it's a bit of a controlled environment where it's gonna be okay. It's not a big client that I'm just about to lose. But what I've done mm -hmm. is I've just let it go and just wait to see what happens. And then afterwards I said, you know what I did? I waited to see what you would do and you didn't do anything for seven days. Mm -hmm. I said, so therefore there's a problem. And I think that's the thing. Sometimes you've got to prepare to let the actual, it's like kids, right? You've got to let them fall. And I think sometimes yeah. you've got to let, the, let that thing fall to prove a point. Because until you, cause you keep catching them, they never learn the lesson. They never get the bruised, bruised knees. And I think yeah. And what you've knees. uncovered there is like, it's not their problem. It's your, like, that's a problem for you. Yes, if exactly. they don't do anything in seven days, yeah. then like that's, you know, they're still going to take and their that, paycheck. And that right? came back to task management. So what happened was, the, the fundamental problem there was that they weren't using the task system to their advantage. I said, you're not using it to know what's going on. So you have no clue what's going on. So you did that job and then you're relying on memory, which is most people's memory is not very good, to actually remember to do it. I said, but if you just use the system as it's set up, you wouldn't have had that problem and someone else would have known what was going on as well. And that comes back to that IP, that comes back to that system process. Said, well, that obviously is a hole in the business there that could easily go pear-shaped if everybody didn't do that and then suddenly mm -hmm. nothing got done and then people, what are they doing? Reversing credit card transactions, they're complaining, they're talking bad about you and the whole thing escalates all because this little simple thing mm -hmm. you didn't fix. Completely, absolutely. And it also shows another, um, I guess, common failure in business, which is, I guess what prompts me to think of this is you said things get stored in people's heads and like even if you do you know, have a great memory, which I, I do not, Often you go into a business and all of this knowledge that's been learned through experiences is trapped in people's heads, yes. right? Like there isn't actually an asset around people learning a thing. So then it's documented and shareable. It's like that person leaves huge amount. Like there's no amount of handover that can take everything that person and knows half the time about the, the outgoing person to teach the incoming person, which is probably the worst thing you never do because that will just impact on if they're negative about leaving, they're going to completely destroy that new person on the way through. And I've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. That's what we never do. We never used to do it anymore. Like no way we ever take. So I'll stay and strain your staff member. It's never worked out for me ever. It's always worked out badly. They're yeah, good intentions. I mean, it's... good intentions, but they just completely screw you on the way out because they are leaving and they don't really care. And they've put that onto that new employee. But the Look, biggest. They can have the best intentions in the world, right? They could be yeah. the best trainer in the world. Yep. They quit, you've got four weeks, you hired someone, best case scenario, with like a week to two weeks to go. Yes. You just cannot teach someone how to do a role yeah. in a week. And yeah. that's in the best possible circumstance. Yeah. Let alone, you know, someone pretty demotivated by the end, they're they figuring out what's next. Bad habits too, like they'll pass on the bad habits of that previous person. The interesting thing I've always found is trouble with, and I kind of think I've figured it out, but when people, staff won't write procedures, because then they think they don't need you. 
need them. So what will happen is when they leave, they'll be easy to easy to fire. So when you say, "Oh, can you write the procedure for this?" Mysteriously, it never happens, right? Because yeah. it's like they're scared they're going to lose their job, right? So number one, it's like, "Oh well." So kind of to me, it's like create that procedures culture. But what I've always done is kind of documented it basically, got them to do it, and then improve the documentation and so show me you can do it. And, yeah. And I think. That mindset of thinking about you know slowly building, oh, I'm going to document my whole business and get all excited for about a week, and then it never happens. And so <laughs> it's like, oh, it sounds a good idea, but I just can't do it. But that slow little progressive, every time something goes wrong, write a procedure for it. And I think that's probably a good place to start. But I think the whole idea of writing these really detailed procedures don't really work because no one follows them. And so, yeah, no one wants to write them, no one wants to follow them, least of all, like, I don't know about you, but least of all me, you know, yeah. like, you, you have this whole idea about like, oh, there's this process, you're like, I'm not going to follow it. Um, but that being said, I think where um, we're talking about, I guess, creating assets around process and systems, and I think that what's important is not necessarily the steps in the process, you know, like what is, you do this, then you do this, then you do this. I think what's actually important is well, what is the function trying to do? Say it's like, it's hiring. Okay, well, in hiring, having a checklist, which is like every time we do hiring, we need to make sure we do this. We need to make sure we do this. Usually attached with because last time we didn't do that and it failed for X reason. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so you got that checklist. I'm writing and this I it failed last time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's like, it's just a cheat sheet, right? And so if you think of it as like a cheat sheet rather than a process, I think yeah. people often latch on to that idea much more because you don't feel a process feels like you're being controlled whereas a checklist is you fill out a checklist every time you tick one of those things you just feel a bit like oh yeah i did something that's fantastic yeah and i think that's right and when we had my other business when we're doing sage accounting a lot of stuff we did wasn't necessarily they didn't understand what they were doing that was a problem in itself but just making sure that when you packaged in the old days we actually sent out a box and everything to actually do mm. the whole process and make sure you put everything in the box you're supposed to put in the box and all that sort of process and packet and stuff like that. We had a, a checklist and we mm. always had, our checklist was always at one color, was back in the days with paper. <laughs> and so we always had a, 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 they were a different color, like they were a yellow, I think from memory, because you could mm. spot them a mile off. And so you knew that was a checklist. And I think that's yeah. the thing is that if you build those, at least start with checklists is a good place to start because then things don't get stuffed up. like. When I relaunched this show the other day, I thought there's a couple of steps in here that I I keep forgetting mm -hmm. to do because I've you know it's a bit elaborate. So I go I went and wrote myself a checklist, um, but then you just fill it in afterwards. Like next time I do it, I go okay, I remember that now. I'll get someone else to do that because it's not that hard. Yeah, but it took a bit of work to get there, and I think mm -hmm. yeah, that documentation. Um, the one of the things I ever did was I started a journal, um, and everything I thought I better write in this journal. And every time I went to a conference, I took a journal with me. So it became mm -hmm. almost like, in some respects, writing the history of your business is it, and then I'll probably stop doing that, but I think it's a good thing to do. Like you're actually just writing down what happened as you're going mm -hmm. and you go back and go, oh, I remember that now, but I didn't remember the detail of where it went wrong or, you know, where it went yeah. right. Um, and that kind of, it was almost like you've got a, almost a duty to document your history of your business. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree. And actually, I just read this really good book a few months ago now called The Checklist Manifesto. All right. you, I'm not sure if you've heard wow. it. It's very good. Would highly recommend. Right, but basically yeah. what they talk about is that, um, uh, what is it? Surgeons, uh, rocket scientists, pilots, yep. 
and then mega city construction, like you do with those mega building construction projects, mm. all run on checklists. Like course, they're too yeah, complex for process. The pilot to have ticked off the list right before it takes off, right? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. You're like super smart, highly well trained, super motivated, very cool jobs, still running on something that is, you know, six things on a checklist. Like that's it. And yeah. that kind of blew my mind. You know, I'm like, oh, I work in technology. I should have some sophisticated AI based thing. And you're like, you don't really need that. You just need to have something pretty simple. Yeah, I think the best sale I've ever had was the weakest link in your business. Is, is really where it's at. Like at the end of the day, that the weakest link is always, it, not your strongest link is going to be your asset, your weakest link in your business, whether that's an employee or whether it's a process or whether that's something, but that weak link will be the, the yeah. rock that will set in and then you'll end up, it'll cost you money on time. But, yeah, and you end, I, I love that, and you'll only ever have one at a time. Like there is by definition only ever one weakest link. And so mm -hmm. as like a small business owner, yeah. it can be overwhelming to think, oh, there's like a thousand things that I should fix here. Yes. But actually, there's actually one thing that you need to fix right now. And when that's fixed, then there's just one other thing. And you just need to like find and identify those. And the only thing I like about small business when you've got a reasonable, like I think when you hit about, I think the number was 23 employees, the world changes. Mm -hmm. And I found that out because I had 15 and then went to 23 and the whole world changed. <laughs> Like it's just, yeah. your business is completely different. But the really nice thing about a smaller business is that you can change things quickly. And people think that's, a, you know, oh, that's okay. But the reality is big business can't do that. They can't move mm -hmm. that huge Titanic thing and change direction easily. And so they're a sitting target for small business that can actually be more nimble and, and, and be, you know, actually do the job and do a good job of it. And I think mm -hmm. that's what you've got to remember is that those big businesses cannot pivot and change easily. And I mean, Google's a great example of that. I mean, if you look down, you can Google this. I think I don't know even Google's failed businesses. So everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Google graveyard. Yeah. Yeah, the Google graveyard. Like if you shut down, if you actually all the businesses Google shut down, there's hundreds and hundreds of them. And you go, oh, oh you know, Google Plus was a failure. It only got 600 million users. It's like what? <laughs> that's a failure. Yeah. Like even LinkedIn doesn't have that many users, I don't think. And so it's like it's their definition of failure, right? And I think that's the thing too, is, is sometimes it's not what you think. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why you see big companies like Apple, Amazon, like getting into things like healthcare. Because like the pressure on those businesses is that they need to put on multiple mm. billions of dollars per year. Yes. And there's only so many markets that can support someone coming into it and making mm. billions of dollars mm. at that kind of scale. And that's where I think small business totally agree with you have the upper hand because you can pick something, especially when you think about purpose-driven organizations, right? Like you can pick mm -hmm. a small community of people and make a big difference in their lives yeah. without having to have Google scale. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a myth. I think in some respects that, you know, do you really want what you want? Like if you, cause I've been through that whole 23 staff thing and I don't want that honestly. Like, yeah. You know, as you get older, you realize that um, that's not something you want every day. Um, and so I think at the end of the day, you've got to look at that and go, what do you really want? And do you want to create a monster or not? Mm -hmm. Once you get past that staffing, so thinking about automation, thinking about the way you, what you want out of that business as well, um, I think is important because, it, you know, like you said, like most people think they don't have a job for life anymore right? or business for life. You've got to, you may jump around a lot. And yeah, I think that's the thing is like, you don't think that that's going to be it. So a lot of thought that I think you don't do. And one of the things that I used to try and do in business was every so often book a holiday, even as one day and get away yeah. 
And the amount of stuff that I used to think on a plane, because I had nothing else, because back, you know, like now you can sort of have that in there on a plane, which I think is probably a bad idea. Um, uh, I totally agree. <laughs> I think it's like I, I want to switch off and think, and I think that thinking time, um, I, I, a guy I met a few years ago said, look, I spend one day a month just think this thinking. I just get my office and I don't do anything, just think. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people don't do that. Like they just keep doing, but they're not yep. keep stopping and saying, hang on a minute, let's have a think about this. <laughs> So I I think about it as like eating your vegetables as a business and like you've got to, like there are a few, you've got to like take time to think, you've got to get space from your business to have some perspective, you've got to, you know, create processes, whatever they are. There's always a pretty good excuse to not do them today. Mm. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And it just never happens. And you Mm. end up with this company that doesn't actually have any of that strength, resiliency fitness that it could have had because you just put off all of these habits that you just got fat. you know we're good, but you, <laughs> you just got fat 100 100 there's so many yeah. businesses that because look most business owners you talk to and you say something about like systems process perspective planning strategy and listening to a customer by then. they're both gone <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah look they'll tell you they're all good things and you ask them when was the last time you did it and you're like well i haven't had time you're like well there's there's a paradox there, right? There are things that are yeah. really important, but you're not doing them. Mm. How do we solve that problem? But it, one of the things that I find that happens a lot, and I call it to a degree, it's pretty shiny syndrome, but it's also what happens is people have too many products, they have too many solutions and too many things for a size of their business, and they're trying to manage them all. And I'll do that myself. I'm guilty of it. So, what you're doing is you're having a stab at something. So, you're doing something, seeing how it goes. And then you've established this product or service, but you didn't spend enough time on it. And as soon as it doesn't work, you just ditch it and do something else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the tricky bit because I think a lot of times it's your cash cows you got to focus on. And and you look at some of these really hyper successful businesses like Google to a degree, uh, Uber. You know, all these guys don't do one thing. Like you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. You look at that big business and they've got all those people. And they just do one thing. And I think maybe it's because small entrepreneurs get bored. They couldn't just do one thing, you know. You couldn't just keep flipping that burger. You got, to, you know, yeah, some other stuff. So do you find that happens a lot where people kind of like their their business is good, but what they've done is they've overcomplexed it. They've made they've added too many things into it. Yeah, I think that's super common, and I think I think you're right in that there's probably multiple reasons why it happens. It's a symptom of a few underlying causes. One of which people get bored, and I'm certainly susceptible to that. You're like, mm. you have an idea, and you're like, great, like let's run with it. I think another reason that happens, especially in like service businesses. So if someone's running like a marketing agency or a consultancy or something like that, mm-hmm. I've, I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to where they're like, oh, we're trying to create a product business, mm-hmm. but to make money in the short term, we're going to be a services business. Yes. And they get stuck in this weird middle where the money is coming in for services. Yeah, They want to do product or two products or five products, and they never actually got to a critical mass to be able to pivot from one Mm. to the other. And then you end up talking to businesses and they're just like, oh, so what do you do? And they do this and they do this and they do this. When the reality is they're actually just doing services and everything else is a thing that they wish. It's a hobby. (laughs) Yeah. It's a hobby. And I've I've had that, I've made that mistake. So how do you think you get out of that? Like, do you have to basically uh, essentially sack up and and stop the services and and cut the cord or what do you do? <laughs> I I wish I had a better answer. In yeah. my experience, I haven't seen anyone 
start and then transition in a way that didn't require a hard call, which was we're going to significantly either decrease or defocus or say no to services revenue to take the leap into a product. I think that's the only way to go about it. So I've seen like a lot of SaaS businesses, startups, and what they do is they make, lose a lot of money that they've got a runway. And so they go, yeah. we've got enough money to last us for this period of time. And I think mm-hmm. build up that war chest and then go, okay, now we're going to pivot out and we're going to do this. And maybe you start a whole new business. So in most cases, like for me with my business, I split my business down the middle. And whilst mm-hmm. most people, there's some people work in one business and work in the other because it's very different business. But the idea is that it's totally defined in two, two angles because at the end of the day, you've got to think differently about that business. Yeah. So between a SaaS business and a published business, one's a services business and one's a software business, you can't put them together. That's too hard, right? The confuse the crap. Completely too hard. Start with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having that mental model is like, these are two businesses. And yeah. I think what's good about that is um, when you've got a product business, you've got to answer the question, where is the runway coming from? Yes. Using and if the business. And if that's the case, you've got to formalize it, right? Yeah. Like this, yeah. this services business is going to give this business $100,000. And when it runs out of that, it's going to give it another 100000 And it's like, it's a wording thing. Like it's a, yes. it's a mindset thing, but not just we're doing two things and Do one's kind of lynching on the That's other. interesting because this is what I did actually. I set up a loan account between these two companies because this other mm-hmm. one, it's got to a point where maybe it can fund two weeks of, of costs, but not four. So what happens is it has to get topped up. So I'm keeping track of this and go, you owe me, this business owes me (laughs) their money. And so when you go, well, hang on a minute, this business needs to perform. How do we get this up? Start asking Mm -hmm. questions. And I think that's the thing is that you formalize an arrangement yourself. Ultimately, it's only just me just transferring money between two accounts, but it's not without without, um, strings attached. Right. Mm-hmm. And people, I think I find this with creating dashboards for people like data dashboards is that it can, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, right? Like yeah. looking at a product business that has spent, you know, I don't know what it, what it is, but say you've spent $50,000 and haven't made a single dollar from your product. Yeah. That feels bad. Yes. Um, and so when you see it in those terms, it makes you ask the question, would I put enough? Like that's fifty thousand bucks I could have spent on a holiday. Mm. Do I want to put in another twenty thousand dollars? Good money after to that. see how it goes. Is it good yeah. money? Yeah. Mm. Like there was this great, great, great research um, that I saw when I was working with a financial institution, and they found that when people didn't have money in their bank account, they stopped opening up the app. Right. So the app, they'd open up the app on their phone. And the first thing it showed you was that like, how much money you had. Yep. People would stop opening the app, which would create all of these downstream problems because they weren't facing it. Mm. They made this really simple change. They made the first screen just a list of things that you might want to do. And they put your current balance behind a screen. And people would actually come to the app and do different things in it because they didn't feel like the first thing they were going to have to do was... <laughs> so much money they don't have. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It was interesting. I, I read something the other one. I think it's the same principle in your business. If you, if you want to lose weight, weigh yourself every day. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you look at the same things every day and, and they're not changing, then you know straight away you know, that you've got a problem to deal with and it's reinforcing that problem all the time that you've got to deal with it. Obviously, then you've got to actually do it. Um, yeah. But at least if nothing else is telling you, reminding you that it's important because I think that's part of the problem. As I say to a lot of people, oh, you don't have time to do this. I said, no, no, it's not about time. It's about whether it was important or not because I bet you yep. did stuff during the day that was not that important, but you wanted to do it, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think 
I think that's the scary bit is trying to figure out, you know, what's important, what's not, and focus on it. But at the same time, you know, reinforcing that. So the same as that, the, that company has its own mm. bank account, has its own balances. You can see what's going on out of the gate. I can't hide mm. that in the existing business. I can't hide yeah. it. Well, because I could. It's just a, it's just a, a line on the balance sheet now, and the other business. Yeah. But there, you can't hide it. The bank account tells you that you've got a problem to deal with. Yeah. And look, when someone's coming in to buy your business, often investors aren't necessarily that scared of businesses that aren't making money yet. Mm. What they are scared of is looking at a business that they don't understand mm. and not knowing what the moving parts are. Like if you're like, great, we've got the services business. It makes this amount of money in this way. Then we take that profit. We invest it over here. And our business plan says that we'll be profitable in 12 months because of X, Y, Z. That's something people will put money in. Mm. The, we do a services business with a product on the side and the product doesn't have any customers, but it will. No one's putting money into that. Yeah, exactly. And so probably give me like three kind of best pieces of advice you give to someone who potentially wants to um, create a business for sale because ultimately that's mm -hmm. what you're trying to do there essentially is the, is the game is to, to build that business, fix that business up, whatever, or start that business from scratch properly. Yeah. Then prepare for sale. What's the three things that you best piece of advice you give someone that that um, like free advice is worth every cent, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's right. Um, yeah, top three. I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you the three that are, that come to mind come right on, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, the the analogy that I like to use when I think about business is comparing it back to a house that you're trying to sell. Like if you're creating this thing, and I think. If you wanted to sell your business or you want to create an asset, the first thing you need to do is finish building it, which feels like a stupid thing to say in terms of a business. I think people think of running a business rather than building a business. Yeah. But if you had a house and you're like, oh, I haven't quite finished building the kitchen yet. And so I know when I want to cook eggs that I've got to do it in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, 100%, right? Or like, yeah, the bathroom is still smaller. <laughs> yeah. Um, you wouldn't sell a house like that or you'd accept a pretty low price for it. Yeah, you'd be Whereas, <laughs> yeah, so like finish building your business. So make sure you've got a process around ops, finance, HR, how you deliver your product and service. Like just have those base things in place before trying to do too much else. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be my first piece of advice is just ask yourself the hard question around what does... Is it a stable business look like? What's a finished business look like? Mm -hmm. um, I think number two is that you need a business plan with three-year projections in it. Mm -hmm. um, when people look to sell a business, it feels like a waste of time, I think, creating projections because you're like, oh, someone's going to buy it. They're going to come up with their <laughs> own plan. Yeah. Most projections um, wish list, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like they're... Uh, um, yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's a way of articulating a possibility rather than saying that these things are set in stone. But if you don't have a business plan that's got projections in it when you're going to sell, mm. you're going to have to, you're going to force to be sold it for like the asset price of the business or like a multiple of revenue. Whereas when you've got a business plan, you've got a much better chance of getting someone to fall in love with the business and then they'll pay more because they want it strategically. Like right? They, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Where am I at? I think that's two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no pressure. Uh, no pressure. Look, I think the third one we've spoken about a lot, but you've got to make a business that where you could take a, a month to two month holiday mm. and realistically it, it would be fine, mm. um, which is scary for people. But yeah, if you could take a two to three month holiday without too much notice, then your business is in a good position to be able to sell it. 
I think the trick to that is just keep taking time off. So you take mm-hmm. one day a week off, so you cut back to four days a week, get less done, get more done in four days, and then sort of slowly cut it back. I, the yeah. guy once said to me once, and it's interesting, he, he, the question he asks himself every morning is, how can I work less days and make more money? Most people yeah. ask the opposite. <laughs> when they wake up, how can I work harder to make more money? Now, how can I work less and make more money? And, yeah. and sometimes it's just increasing your prices at the end of the day, right? It's, it's a case of going, well, if I increase the price, I actually can work as long hours, and I think most businesses mm-hmm. undervalue their their price anyway. So, oh, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Um, actually, it reminds me there's this really good study that just finished up that was run by I forget whether it's like the Institute of or Foundation for, but whatever. It's the Foundation for Working Four Days a Week ran out of the UK, and they just did a global. You might have heard about it, a global yeah, it's, experiment. It's really big push lately of you know post pandemic stuff that people are work, working less hours. Yeah. Yeah, four, and they, they just finished it. I think it was like a six-month trial. People work four days a week instead of five. Uh, they got their full five-day-a-week wage mm-hmm. for working the four days. Yes. And more work got done. The companies made more profit. Mm-hmm. And um, people enjoy working there more. Just because, like, if you've got five days, you fill five days' worth of work. And that extra day is probably not high-value work. No. Whereas if I you set this artificial work done at work, to be honest, I don't think very yeah. little work gets done at work. When I had the twenty-three staff, I estimated that most work they worked about three hours a day, um, if four if lucky. And yeah. so, yeah, it's scary, but you think about it too, or you're just dragging it out. <laughs> so, um, so the yeah. tell, I take four good hours over. Yeah, yeah four good hours. So hours press that into two days a week and let them go for the week. Um, so tell me how people can get in touch with you and, and what they can um, and who you're looking for, I guess, as a, as a potential client. Um, yeah. So, yeah, find us. We're impactpositive.co. So not .com, we're impactpositive.co. And you can find us uh, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, wherever you like to find stuff um and what i'd uh, what i'd say is we've got a we've actually built a, a platform that can help do this for people it's called impact builder and so if you go to our website sign up to impact builder for the rest of the year it's free for people to use and sign up and that helps you create um standard operating procedures it helps you set your company vision um it helps you set kind of key metrics so it's kind of like a nice one place to kind of turn your business into an asset if you will cool sounds good i'm gonna have a look later <laughs> yeah <laughs> so really appreciate your time we really, um, and i think we had some really good robust conversations and i hope that someone gets something out of this in terms of i think if you just won't get one good idea out of something i think it's worth it um mm-hmm. and so i think it's it's really cool so really appreciate coming on and maybe we'll talk again and uh, when your business is, is going a bit older and, and what's going on with it so really appreciate you coming on the show yeah fantastic it was great great to have a chat that's a wrap on another awesome episode for the Startup Secret Show for Nepreneurs. Just before you go, if you like this episode, we'd be very grateful for a five-star review. Please also consider recommending the show to a friend or two. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at StartupSecrets.show right now. Until next time, if you're an entrepreneur, make a start on your next great business idea today.